0: Would you please take your Bibles and let's turn together to the Old Testament book of Exodus. If you're using one of the Bibles that's provided for you, you can find this on page 45. Turn to Exodus chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading at verse 8 here in just a moment. Through the end of that chapter, which is verse 22. So Exodus chapter 1, beginning... At verse 8, Exodus chapter 1, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, she shall live. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this morning as we sit here in relative comfort, there are many people on the east coast. Their lives have been... In some ways, at least, turned in a bad way, but some turned upside down and perhaps never the same after this weekend. So, we first want to pray for our brothers and sisters and churches throughout that area as they have opportunity to step up and be of service to those in need. Would you provide every need they have to serve the people? First responders, all of those who are dealing with, no doubt, dangerous situations. Would you help all those who are trying to help today? And for us this morning, we think of the words of the wisdom writer in the book of Ecclesiastes as he closed out that writing. He would say the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep His commandments. Holy Spirit, help us to think about that today. And not to rush through this, but to think about the entire conclusion of our life being, Have we feared God? We pray for your help as we unpack these verses today for for our blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in a series throughout the book of Exodus. We just started last week, and today we're we're kind of getting getting into the into the meat of it, you might say. Someone has said that we live in an age of fear, an age of fear. That's quite interesting because we live in the safest, most advanced part of the world. Nevertheless, we have fears, fears like immigration fears, worried about who comes in the country, who doesn't. We have nuclear fears, North Korea, Iran. We have True enough, we have climate change fears. Climate change is a real thing. A lot of difference of opinions on how it comes about. But certainly a real thing. There are political fears. There are economic fears. You know, we're fearful of who who's going to get the reins. Who's going to be on the Supreme Court? Who's going to you know, who's, who's going to be in the White House? Who's going to be in Congress? And there's all kinds of fears. Some some healthy, some irrational. But we can be sure of this, what we fear will always lead to a response. What we fear will always lead to a response, either good or bad. Example, King Saul in the Old Testament. King Saul was given the task to wipe out the Amalekites. The orders were clear, but he failed to do that. He left alive King Agag and he kept all of the best of the livestock for the people of Israel. When the prophet Samuel came to him and confronted him and asked him why he had been disobedient unto the Lord, he said this, I have sinned, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. You know, we would be probably enormously surprised to find out The decisions that were made, decisions that were made that affected us, that were decisions made because of fear. Decisions our our government leaders make, just like Saul. He made this decision because he was afraid of people. Oh, it'd probably shock every one of us. The decisions that are being made because of fear. I bring this up today because fear is a major subject in our text today. We're going to see the fear of an Egyptian king. We're going to see the fear of the Hebrew midwives. And then we're going to ask the all-important question, whom shall we fear? Now, before we look at those things, I'm going to ask you, how did we get to the events of Exodus chapter 1? In other words, how, how do we get where we're at here? And the answer is this. There's a strong connection between the Old Testament book of Genesis And the book of Exodus. And you need to know this. You need to be aware. You see, for example, Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? I hope you do. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And you'll remember after a long series of providential events, Joseph became second in command to the Pharaoh in Egypt. And then we read later in the book of Genesis that Joseph and his brothers were reconciled to one another. And the first thing that happened was Joseph said, Is my father still alive? Is Jacob still alive? And they said, Well, yeah, he's still alive. He's, he's, he's very old. He's very feeble. And so Joseph sent all of the, the wagons of Egypt that belonged to the Pharaoh to bring Jacob and all the family down to Egypt to live with him. But then in verse 6 of Exodus chapter 1, you'll notice these words. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. So there came a point as history moved along that Joseph died and all of his brothers, all that generation. But then we read in verse seven that we looked at last week, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And you need to write under that verse, God's blessing. God blessing his people. They're being fruitful. They're multiplying. They're growing. And they're enjoying They have been enjoying a time of relative prosperity. Things have been well for them, but things are going to change badly. Chapter 1 shows us that every age is an age of fear. You may be sitting here today and think, oh my goodness, things are coming unhinged all around us and, and I'm afraid and this is an age of fear. Friend, I want you to see something this morning. Every age that the people of God live in is an age of fear. You'll notice here in verse 8, there's a new king that comes on the scene. There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, that's fine. I find that really amazing. Joseph is a main character in the Scriptures and in the history of Egypt. He, he, he pulled them out. He pulled the, the people of the world at that time out in a, in a big way. But a new king comes along and says, Joseph, don't know him. Don't care about him. This new king is what they call a pharaoh. Okay? It's a succession of pharaohs in Egypt. And a pharaoh was an absolute ruler. He did not have the form of government that we have today, you know, the three branches. No, he was the sovereign ruler. All decisions were in his hands. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. In verse 8, we're looking at the most powerful person in the world at this time, yet he's afraid. Now that's amazing. To have all the riches and resources, you might think, boy, if I had plenty of money, I wouldn't be afraid of anything. Or if I, if I had status and power, I wouldn't be afraid of anything. This man, most important man in the world at this time, absolute ruler, sovereign ruler, afraid. But what's he afraid of? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 tells us, And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. The Pharaoh viewed the increased presence of the Israelites as a threat to his empire. These foreigners are getting bigger. There's more of them. There's more of them around. More of them coming on the scene. And he began to get afraid. And he, he began to communicate to the people, We're afraid. We're afraid. And that fear led to a hatred of the people of God and eventually to their subjugation. Let's be clear about something. Pharaoh... Is afraid, but notice what he's afraid of. He's afraid of people. He's not afraid of God. He's not afraid of the living God. He is afraid of people. I want you to see a quote by Oswald Chambers. I found this interesting. He said, A remarkable thing is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Hmm. Just finished a biography of Robin Williams. Robin Williams, pretty, pretty good argument to say that he is probably one of the most, most well-known uh, comedians in recent history. Uh, very successful, extraordinarily successful. He committed suicide just a few years ago. But I found this interesting about Robin Williams. Even though he was extremely successful, he lived with this constant fear that someone else was going to come along better and take the limelight. When Jim Carrey come on the scene, you know Robin Williams just come unglued because he was so afraid. He's getting the better roles. He's getting the attention. He was afraid. He was afraid. Even though he was the most successful comic at that time. I've noticed this about musicians and entertainers especially. They're always afraid that someone else is going to take the spotlight. Then I, I read an article entitled How Tech's Richest Plan to Save Themselves After the Apocalypse. Do you know that... Out out west in Silicon Valley, some of the brightest, most wealthy people are living in fear. They're afraid, what they say, their words, of the coming climate crisis. They believe that there's going to be an apocalypse of of weather that's going to wipe us all out. And so they're afraid. And what, what they're doing is they're building these huge underground bunkers. And they're supplying them with all the needed things that they think they'll need to get by. I mean, the heck with the rest of us, okay? Heck with the rest of us. But they've got money, and they can build what they want. And and here's the interesting thing, though. They even have hired a security team to take care of them and protect their property. But they begin to think about it and think, can we really trust them? Can we trust our own security people? If things really get bad, and see, they're even afraid of their own plans. Isn't it interesting? Oh, we live in an age of fear. Absolutely. It's interesting, the first mention of fear that we read about in the scriptures, is right after Adam and Eve rebelled against their creator. Remember what happened? God came walking in the cool of the evening, and uh, he said, Adam, where art thou? And he said, I heard your presence, and I was afraid. Friend, be sure of this. One of the consequences of rebelling or unhinging from your creator will be fear. God warned his people, these same people that we're looking at here today in the book of Exodus, he warned them after, after he calls them to himself, he warns them, obey me. And if you don't, if you disobey me, one of the things he said was, you will flee when no one pursues. Words, you're gonna have this, you're gonna have this kind of like Robin Williams, this sense of somebody's coming after me. Something's coming. When, when nothing is pursuing, there's still gonna be this underlying fear. So let's notice this first. We see a king, absolute ruler, absolute power, but he's afraid. Friend, in every age, we are all driven by some sort of fear. No matter how much money you have, no matter how good your health is, no matter how good your genetic structure is, we have fears. But the second thing I want you to see in this passage, again, I said it's, it's, it's filled with fear. The next thing we'll see is the fear of the midwives. We have some ladies here who have really no power at all. You know, I mean, no power whatsoever, but what, what do we notice about them? In this age of fear, the Hebrew midwives fear God. Now, a midwife, a midwife is one who helps to bear. That's what the word midwife means, one who helps to bear. It's, it's a midwife is one who aids a woman at childbirth by taking the newborn baby, cutting the umbilical cord, washing the baby, salting the baby, and wrapping the baby. And so these Hebrew midwives were, 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 were helping women who were giving birth. And notice what happens in verse 16. Uh, the new plan, the new plan that the, uh, the, the Pharaoh has, says, he tells them, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. Let the females live. That's just, it's, you know, it's pretty difficult, I know, for us to really feel the weight and the pressure that they were under. But I want you to think about it with me for just a moment. You've got the most... Em- most important, most powerful person in all the world calling these women in and saying, look, when you serve these Hebrew women, if they give birth to a boy, I want you to kill it. It's a command. It it says here it's a command. He commands them. Now imagine what you have to think about. If you say, I'm not going to do this, you are resisting a command of the most powerful person in the world who can wipe you out in a moment. So just think about the pressure that these ladies are under. And, and friend, every one of us here today who, who diligently want to walk with God, we all face pressures, pressures to do evil. For, for example, if you're really my friend, you'll smoke this. If you're really my friend, you'll try some of this. If, if you really love me, you'll sleep with me. If you really want your job, You will. See, all of us at some time or another will face those kind of pressures, those temptations. If you're really this, if you you really want to be with me, if you want to be on my side, if you want to be under my favor, he's telling these women, here's what you're going to have to do. To be in my favor, you're going to have to do this. It's command. And we don't have to wait long to see what they will or won't do. Look at verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. I want you to see a, a, a definition that John Murray gives of the fear of God. I think this is excellent. Look, the fear of God means that God is constantly in the center of our thought and apprehension, and life is characterized. Now, listen to this very closely. Like our lives are characterized by the all-pervasive consciousness of dependence upon him and responsibility to him. For these Hebrew midwives who were commanded by the most powerful man in the world to kill male babies, they said, we will, we're not going to do it. So what does that mean? Their lives was characterized, which means they were living as if God really did exist. There's a big difference Between saying, I believe there's a God and actually living as if God really exists. See, something powerful was at work in the hearts of these women. That when the most powerful man on earth gave an ungodly command, they did not bow, but rather they feared God. Friend, this is big. And it's interesting, isn't it? Where another woman... Eve, she was out, outmaneuvered by the serpent. Remember in the book of Genesis, she was outmaneuvered by him. He was slick, got by her, and she fell. Ah, but these Hebrew midwives outmaneuver the serpent-like king by fearing God. Isn't that great? That's what we're seeing here. See, see, don't miss that. Back in the book of Genesis, serpent's slick, and he, he outmaneuvers Eve. She rebels against her creator, but what do we have here? We've got two women again here, and they outmaneuver. They're they're slick, and they outmaneuver this serpent-like king. Why they do it through fearing God? Now I know some of you sitting here wondering if we're going to touch on the fact that did the Hebrew midwives lie? And that's a great ethical question. Great ethical. You can you can tinker with that if you want to, but. I'm not going to fool with that this morning. Maybe another time. But here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 21. You you are verse 20 and 21. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families. Now there's a lot of people, like I say, that tinker around with, with biblical ethics, and they say, didn't the midwives lie? And maybe they did lie. Maybe they didn't. And look, look, you can fool with that all you want, but look at what the verses say. God rewarded these ladies. God rewarded these ladies. And friends, that's a good thing to pursue, right? A life that God rewards. I hope that everybody in this room will go out today and say, I want to live a life that God rewards. And the life that he rewards is a life that's lived in the fear of God. Our God, now I want you to notice before we move on to the next section here, God doesn't always make the storms of opposition go away, does he? See, he could have. When they when they when the Pharaoh went to these women and said, You got to kill all the male babies, lightning bolt from out of heaven kills the Pharaoh. Wouldn't that have been cool? It didn't happen, though, did it? And that is to say that God doesn't always take the storms and the trials and the pressure away, but he's always able to make us stand for righteousness and truth in the middle of the storms, right? And that's what he did for these Hebrew midwives. So here's what we've seen so far. We've got, we've got one of the most powerful people in the world. He doesn't fear God, but he's afraid. Then we've got these two little ladies, and they're being commanded by the most powerful person in the world, and they will not bow because they fear God. Now, that poses to us a very significant question. Whom shall we fear in this age of fear? The Pharaoh feared people. The midwives feared God. Whom shall we fear? In the book of Malachi, God asks His people this question: Where is my fear? He asked His people that, not the world. He asked his covenant people, "Where is my fear? See, they were declaring they were declaring their belief in God. they were going through all the externals of worship, yet they lived as if God did not exist. And so God would say, Where are those who live as if I really exist? I believe God would ask that question today of us. Anybody at Calvary live as if I really exist? You see, of all the places, it's the church where we often find an absence of the fear of God. It's been a little over 10 years ago now. There was a gentleman who took up with another woman. I think he felt as if he had covered his bases. He began to have lunch and dinner and a movie in another town outside of this area so that he wouldn't run into anybody. He even went across the bridge into Indiana. But his wife was a little bit more keen to taking care of the receipts. She began to ask some questions. And then it came out that he'd been having an ongoing affair with another woman. When we sat down with them. The goal was to humble ourselves before God and to attempt to, through confession and repentance, that this husband and a wife would be reconciled. Repentance meaning not just feeling kind of bad about what happened. No, no, you're no longer seeing this other person. You're no longer living in an adulterous life. So the attempt was made, and all along the way, the return, the attempt for reconciliation was resisted. Finally, after a series of weeks, I finally told this brother on the phone, "You must again. the The only option here is you must repent and be reconciled to your spouse." And he had he had a remedy. He had a remedy. He had an idea. Uh, he said, "You know, I don't I don't really want to leave the church and." You know, my, my wife likes it there. I like it there. And so, you know, maybe, maybe she could come one service and I could come the other. And I said, that's not happening. That's, that's not an option on the table. Here are the options. Repent. Repent and be reconciled to your spouse. And so he very, you know, very, very, not, not angry, but said he had another idea. I, I, well, I guess I'll just have to go to another church. Do you notice what was not on the table? The fear of God. The fear of God was nowhere in the mix. It was just, look, I don't really want to be reconciled. I, I, I want to carry on with someone else. And I think I should be able to do that. I mean, I should be able to continue to go to church and go through all the motions and, 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 and even go to the same church where my ex-wife's in. And, and, and then maybe if that doesn't work out, I'll go to another church. What was not on the table was the fear of God. I want you to see something over the overhead. The fear of God is the holy soil that produces a godly life. The absence of the fear of God is the unholy soil that produces an ungodly life. Let me ask you this. Why do we see unconfessed sin, unwillingness to repent, ungodly lifestyles among those who profess Christ? Why do we see that? Answer, no fear of God. Now... Here's where you should be saying away, oh, minute, brother van, I don't know, but so so see, see, I know, I know, and I want to help you know why why is this why is the answer there's no fear of God see throughout church history, there has been always been a concern regarding those who are in the church who who one like the social life they 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 they, they like they, they come to a church, they think, man, I like people here, I like it, they're friendly and I, I've made friends. I like they like me, and for some weird reason, nobody has liked you before. But you come you come to church, all of a sudden they like you, and naturally you like that. And so you like the social life. It's great. I have made friends. I got people I go out to lunch with. And secondly, they enjoy being seen as a good moral person. I go to church. Yet, listen, they've never been converted. They've never been converted. They've come in, like the social life, and they show up and they go through externals, but there has been no change of heart. They have not been born again from above, they've not been converted. They do not have a new heart. You wouldn't believe, you wouldn't believe how many times some very smart people have talked to me off to the side and they said, Brother Van, just don't get discouraged. Just understand. But then I hope you understand, not everybody goes to church born again. Well, after 25 years, I've got a pretty good handle on that, really. And so I want you to listen to me close. I, I want to I hold up two things to you that's, that's going to help if you will just stay with me. I want to compare, just quickly, the old covenant with the new covenant. Because we're looking at a people here who are under the old covenant. God gave the Israelites his law. We're going to see that later in, in Exodus chapter 20. And he does it with displays of majesty and power. Sometimes today, you know, people people in the church are, oh, I wish I could see God doing something. Let me tell you something. When we get to the book of Exodus and he starts doing stuff, stuff, it scares the wits out of them. You know, they start gathering around Mount Sinai and thunder and lightning and all that kind of stuff. And the first thing is, no, no, you see. And what I'm saying is God, God did all of these things with demonstrations of majesty and power. He demonstrated his steadfast love to his people, his patience with them again and again. Yet, they failed to fear him and committed spiritual adultery again and again. That's the old covenant. And that's why God says, I want to do something. Do something new. And you'll see in Jeremiah chapter 31, you're going to see a couple of verses here that are really important to think through. Part of God's new covenant promise, His new agreement, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's a good thing, right? If you care, if you if you've got, if you feel any weight of sin, if you any conviction of sin, isn't it great to be forgiven? Isn't it great to be forgiven by the living God? This is God saying, I'll forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sins no more. I won't hold their sins against them. I will not have to worry about it. Even five years later, 50 years later, I won't hold it against them. But that's not all of the promise of the new covenant. Oh, there's more. God's going to do a whole lot more. In Jeremiah 32, notice this. I will make them with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. Now look at this. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Jesus inaugurates the the new covenant through the shedding of his blood. We enjoy these promises of forgiveness of sin, new heart, Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But it also includes, and I will put the fear of God in them. God is saying, I will establish my fear in their hearts that they will cling to me and my ways. Now, listen, if you're, if you're thinking, if I hope you're a thinking person, you're going, oh, wait a minute. God says he's going to put this in my heart. What does that mean? Is that like putting a casserole in the oven or you know, potato salad in the refrigerator or something? No, no. It'd be easy to think that way. God, God looks at our heart, just shoves it right in. There you go. Fear. You're on. You're good. No, no, that's not what he means. When it says that he's going to put this in our heart, God is going to work it in us as we engage with him, as we walk daily, consistently, regularly. In fact, the New Testament, Paul puts it this way work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's engaging with God, that's ongoing worship with God daily, walking with God, walking in step with his Spirit. And so, It's not going to be like a casserole in the oven. It's going to be God working this in us as we engage ongoingly with Him. But notice, here's what I want to get to, and I want you to see this. See these verses. Within the new covenant, forgiveness and fear of God are linked together, they're inseparable. See that first. In in God's great creative work in us, it's going to include, yes, forgiveness of sins, it's going to include a new heart, yes but it includes also the fear of God. Notice in Psalm 130, you see these verses, great. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I love that verse. God, God's forgiveness ought to bowl you over in such a way that you fear him. God's, God's forgiveness ought to produce in you and I the fear of God. Notice in 1 Peter, same thing. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Paul said, you've you got to know, have got to know, you've got to, an awareness of what Christ has done for you, and that will produce and secure in you the people of God, the fear of God. Let me put it in this sentence, and that will do it. There is no such thing as someone forgiven by the blood of Jesus who does not fear God, okay? There is no one, no such thing as someone forgiven by the blood of Jesus who does not fear God. You know, they, 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 they prayed a prayer 20 years ago, 10 years ago. I prayed a prayer, everything's good, preacher. Not walking with God, not working out their own salvation with fear and trembling, not engaging with God, but they're ready to tell you, I'm forgiven, Jesus died for my sins, I know that for sure. But they don't live as if God exists. There's no fear of God in their hearts. Friend, there's no such thing as someone forgiven by the blood of Jesus who does not fear God. Because if you think that's true, if you think that's true, that is absolute, absolute in opposition to God's new covenant promises. Because he said, I will put the fear of God in your heart. Now, let me wrap up this just very simply with one question and we'll be done why would god so graciously put in us and work in us the fear of god see some of you when you hear the phrase fear of god you still maybe you still don't get it or you still don't like it you you, you like the kind of religion that ah, no fear of god no god just warm and cuddly and 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 i feel his arms around me all the time and i don't know what you're talking about preacher the fear of god You've got another God, friend. You've got another God. The biblical God calls upon us to fear him. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Why would God do this? Why would he say, I want to put this in your heart? Why would he do it? Here's the answer. God's people in every generation will be persecuted by those who set themselves up in opposition to God. That is what we're seeing in Exodus chapter 1. We have a Pharaoh who has set himself up in opposition to God. And in every generation, there are going to be those who set themselves in opposition to God. And the result will be God's people are going to be oppressed. So what do we do about that? How do we face that? We face that with a healthy fear of God. That prevents us from succumbing to pressure from others to do evil. It's what we see with the Hebrew midwives. They're they're living under this pressure, this persecution to do something evil. And how do they respond to it? Fear of God. God was working in their hearts. And, friend, every time you face temptation, every time you face temptation and pressure to do evil, and you, you go, No. No, I'm not doing that. And you flee from temptation. Every time you do that, you know what's happening? It's the fear of God. That's the fear of God. When you say, no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going down that road. I'm not getting involved in that. No, I'll be your friend. I don't prove my friendship by smoking your dope. I don't prove my friendship by sleeping with you. When we say no, it's the fear of God at work in us. It's God working powerfully in our hearts. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Scripture says. Wisdom is the artful skill of living that seeks to honor God. That's what we're called to do. Live lives that honor God. And life looks different when you fear God. And life will be lived different when you fear God. And friend, this is needed. I was born in 1955. I grew up most of my young years in the church and even when I became a believer in 1980, uh, things were different then than they are now for the church. Uh, there, there there, have been years, folks, really, there's been years before us where the church was, was held in a much higher esteem. Believers, preachers. Pastors, they were held in much higher esteem than they are now. Now, a lot of it is our own fault, okay? Ungodliness and the lack of fear of God in the lives of people in the church. However, my point is this just like these Israelites who had been living a very privileged life, suddenly things changed for them in a very bad way. And, friend, you know, I, I don't know what's ahead for us, but things are not going in a very good direction for the church and for the people of God in this age of fear. And so we need the fear of God, right? If we're going to be able to stand up against whatever pressure it may be, we want to be found as people who fear God. How can we do that? One last thing. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22 and we'll wrap up. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that's born of the Hebrews, you cast him into the Nile, but you shall not let every You shall let every daughter live. What's going on here? Pharaoh ramps it up. Hebrew midwives feared God and they said, we're not doing it. He didn't didn't drop his plan and say, well, this is a bad plan. This is stupid. I'm going to coddle the people of God. I'm going to make things better for them. No, no. No, things got worse. You know what's going on here? You know the story behind the story? This is Satan continuing his attempt to kill the promised seed ever since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when there was going to come one along who was going to crush Satan. Satan's always been out to kill that promised seed. And that's what we're seeing here. That's what's really behind all of this. But, But here's what I want you to notice. Pharaoh did not succeed. He lived and he died. And so did many others that came along in opposition to God's plan. But here's what we do know. In God's timing, he sent his son. In God's timing... His son died the death that we deserved In God's timing. God raised him from the dead. And then we see these verses in Hebrews chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now look at this. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's the biggie. That's the biggie. That's big. The fear of death, bigger than global warming, bigger than economic, political fears, fear of death. Jesus has conquered death, and in doing so, all to look to him, he delivers us from the fear of death. Friend, it's true. It's a remarkable thing that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. When you know him as your father in heaven. Things are going to come and things are going to go. Things are going to be difficult, pressures, temptations. But when we fear God, ultimately, bottom line, we don't have to fear anything. But if you do not fear God, you will fear everything. God, have mercy on your soul. The only, the only wise thing for you to do today is humble yourself before God. Come to the only provision that He has for your salvation. Jesus Christ and let him do a work in you, a new creative work that he forgives your sins, gives you a new heart, gives you his spirit and puts in you the fear of